are listening to the weekly Great Governance Podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. So today on our platform, we welcome uh, somebody who was on our platform before. He was then Mr. Governor. And I'm very pleased and proud to welcome onto our platform, Dr. Governor. Good day to you, sir. Good day, uh, Dr. Kluter, and good day, listeners. It's so great to have you on our platform. Firstly, congratulations on achieving the PhD. Uh, you will recall we ended that last interview uh, when you were still the acting municipal manager at the Newcastle municipality. And we then said when we welcome you back, we will welcome you back as Dr. Governor. And you've made it. Well done, uh, Dr. Governor. Uh, how do you feel? Indeed. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Kluter. I'm uh, elated and uh, obviously uh, satisfied that uh, your words have come to fruition and my hard work has also paid off in terms of the PhD. And I'm looking forward now to this PhD assisting us, especially uh, within the boundaries of uh, SA in terms of eradicating unethical behavior and getting um, ethical practices to be the norm of the day instead of unethical practices. That's fantastic. Uh, wonderful. I think the very purpose of academia is to make a difference in society. So I thought we invite you back to talk about your fascinating topic. Tell us firstly, what was the topic of your research? Uh, what I looked at, Doc, uh, for some four years ago was the issue of uh, the public sector in South Africa being plagued by unethical behavior, uh, maladministration, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm sure you as well as an academic uh, within the field of public administration and various other authors would agree that we have sound legislation, we have a solid, solid uh, policy framework, and we have several institutions that aim to regulate the unethical behavior. But however, if you look at the... Uh, uh, facts out there, it doesn't speak to the systems that we have. And what we decided, myself and the two uh, esteemed uh, supervisors, mm -hmm. we decided that we need to focus our research on developing a conceptual model to underpin ethical governance in local government. And in simple layman's terms, what we were looking at is to develop a mind map as to how one sitting in any office or any sphere of government, be it local, provincial or national, can utilize this conceptual model to bring about change and uh, ethical governance within the institution. Now, we obviously looked at the, the subject of ethics, but we took it a further uh, extent and looked at good governance, corporate governance and uh, great governance, uh, the term that you coined as well. So I also referenced that as well in my okay. uh, one of my chapters. So we decided, you know, in essence that we need to tie up ethics together with governance, but at the same time develop a conceptual model whereby even a layman can look at this conceptual model and be able to understand the steps that one needs to take in order to get to ethical governance and what are some of the uh, recommendations that we will be putting forward post our study. So that is, that is in essence, what the uh, PhD covered. 
Okay, certainly a fascinating topic because, uh, and we're going to get to the six steps now that you will take us systematically through. But the question that always comes to mind, you know, whether can ethics in fact be taught? You know, we've got this conceptual model. Corruption is the number one enemy and the devil uh, of our society. Are you saying that your conceptual model, if applied, can make a contribution to, to, to smothering corruption, which is the cancer of our society? Um, I'm saying it, uh, and I've said it in the conclusion part as well, provided you've got the policymakers, uh, uh, who's the uh, executive, that uh, pass, uh, who are responsible and tasked to pass uh, policies, uh, also the ones who are responsible, accountable and implement them. So similarly with this, if you're not, uh, if you don't have uh, self-introspection, uh, you don't have self-guidance, you don't uh, drive it for, uh, as an individual, then um, ethics cannot be taught. But if you look at this, uh, model and you uh, own the model and you implement it and account for every step of why you do certain things, why you don't, then certainly my answer would be yes. So okay. my answer to your question is twofold, yes and no. Yes, if there's introspection, uh, personal ownership of it and self-drive and no if you're going to be told by someone else. So ethics is a very individual thing, Doc. Uh, it's not, uh, it can't be applied across the board, un- you know, uniformly. It has to be applied individual uh, or organization, per organization, but it has to be driven from top down and, and it has to start off from the people who are from the executive down to the legislators, down to the uh, provincial councils and uh, uh, municipalities and uh, obviously mayors, municipal managers, directors and so on. Okay. So so take us step by step through these, these six steps that can actually make a contribution or that can help us uh, managing ethics and accountability better in our institutions. Take us through step so, one and, 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 and then we can I'll ask a question and then we can uh, for clarity. But just l- introduce me to step one, please. Thank you. So, Doc, there are numerous uh, uh, articles and numerous authors who have commented on ethics. And most of our authors venture into the international sphere. We've said that, listen, we've seen it time and time again with legislation like the Municipal Finance Management Act, the Public Finance Management Act, that has been brought from first world countries into South Africa. And we've seen now uh, state in general uh, government battles to grapple with these concepts. And you end up, for example, in a simple uh, uh, example that I need to put forward would be like a tender that needs to go out, that's, that goes out and due to red tape, it gets stuck. And some 12 months down the line, you've got departments incurring irregular expenditure not being able to finalize that. So we said, no, we need to take phase one and look at the at, at the South African locus. We need to determine our locus has been South Af- the South African context in general, local government in particular. Then we said to ourselves, okay, in step one, we need to also determine a focus. So that's when we decided that we're going to look at philosophical uh, uh, focus the di- uh, for exa- and disciplinary, example, public administration in general, and also local government in particular. Then we, we're going to take it even further, is that we're going to look at all research that's currently done in terms of the conceptual foundations and the theoretical foundations. And then we said that 
what we're then going to do is combine this with ethics and governance. Mm. So that was basically what we did in step one. And why we looked at the South African context, uh, uh, Doc, and I would go back to what I just said just now, is that we wanted to focus on the three arms of state because it cannot be done by only local government alone. It needs to be done by uh, local, uh, provincial and uh, national. And you need to have within these three uh, arms of the state and you don't have local government saying, listen, no, we're not going to accept what provincial and national treasury is saying because we're autonomous and we should be governing our own affairs. And so hence on phase on phase one, we looked at bringing these three spheres together, but we looked at the philosophical and disciplinary foundations. We looked at the conceptual foundations and then the theoretical foundations that are already uh, covered extensively by various authors. So that's phase one okay. in a nutshell. All right. And, and, and so, in other words, phase one talks about the consensus amongst these three spheres about the type of leadership, ethical leadership that we want. Is that correct? Indeed. Okay. If you have to put it in a one-liner, that's exactly what it does. And then it says to each of these spheres that you can't not agree because philosophically, uh, you'll all have the same uh, vision and mandate. And you're all governed by the same statutes, if not the difference in term, either PFMA or MFMA. You all have the same concepts in terms of state money. You're using state money, so hence you'll need to be ethical. And you all have the same theoretical uh, foundations whereby you are all uh, are governed by the same uh, reports or the same circulars that are issued by uh, the three spheres of government. So you all are interrelated. So that's what we basically uh, decided to bring those three in phase one. So that okay. forms the basis of what we're going to be working on in terms of phase two, three, four, five, six. Okay, speak to us about phase two. Phase two, what we then looked at is that we need to look at then the concepts influencing ethical governance as per se. Now, these are these are the primary concepts, uh, uh, Dr. Kluter and listeners, such as ethics, morals, norms, values, and professions. We group that under one uh, bullet in terms of the first concept that we're looking at, which is ethics, morals, norms, values, and profession professionalism. And we then unpack these into... Um, providing live situations as to how each of these are interrelated and as much as what they're interdependent, they're interrelated in the value they place on ethical governance, mainly governance as per se. Then we looked at the next year being responsibility, accountability, effectiveness, efficiency, and, and the economy. So we then said uh, to each another that as much as what these concepts are well known out there, but many many people don't know what, are, what is the value of accountability. What is the value of being responsible? Like my 24 years of being in the public sector, um, Dr. Kluter and listeners, has taught me that accountability is a foundation of, should be the foundation of all decision making, no matter which uh, position you occupy at whichever government uh, department. Now, one can see that today, um, one can do as they please and the repercussions are very little and there's little accountability out there. People do as they please. You know, it's it's almost like we live in a lawlessness uh, country. 
Then we looked at now that all of our decisions is obviously pending on two things, on whether it's an effective decision, what you're taking, and whether there's efficiency in that decision. Now, how many decisions we know we've taken, which have come back to haunt us, including the ESCOM issue, where we've realized post our decision and not post in terms of a year or two years, 20, 30 years post our decision that the chickens are coming home to roost, Mm. you know, where we can see that we have not taken good decisions. So that's where we brought in that whole part and we referenced the whole thing of state capture and what the Zondo Commission has looked at and where they've looked at the gaps and why ethics was uh, totally ignored in various uh, sectors of government and so on and so forth. Then we said that, listen, we need to bring in equity and inclusivity, whereby we're saying that male, female, um, uh, black, white, Indian, colored, all need to be brought into the system because we all are part of it. And many people debate this talk, and I don't want to be political in my statement, but if you read the Auditor General's reports of certain municipalities in the Western Cape, certain Northern Cape, certain in KZN, Kauteng, and so on and so forth, in the nine provinces, you'll notice that corruption is not only... uh, perpetuated in one province. It's spread across South Africa. So we said, no, we need to bring all that and also learn from the good practices. And we looked at those municipalities as well that have uh, good uh, practices and why are those practices good and what is the balance between the political leadership and the administrative interface. And we brought that into that primary concept. Then we said, listen, after we've got taken care of equity and inclusivity, we need to look at transparency, openness, responsiveness and participation. We then said, let's bring in the component of uh, private citizens of, of private uh, citizens and NGO CBOs and stuff like that and how they factor and how they should be a part of decision making in government in government and how by not including them you tend to miss out crucial elements uh, like for example you could be planning on your IDP to build a swimming pool for a particular uh, community yet at that community does not even have access to water not even a standpipe so yeah. that's where we looked at we need to be transparent and bulk of our government institutions or governments, our sectors of government being provincial, national and um, uh, local, uh, do not put this box in in terms of having it to be practical uh, on a practical level, but put it on a tick box level. Where yes, we went out to the community, we had a put a marquee outside, we had a roadshow, and that was it. So we're saying, listen, gone are the days of that. Bring in community and harness the experts that are within that community. I mean, they're already engineers in every community. I mean, some communities may not have, but an example, there may be an engineer in a community who will say to you, listen, but your idea for that could be. Uh, uh, probably better done with this and bring him in and you know make him part of issues and we then looked at war rooms and um, the issue of what committees the issue of uh, you know getting yeah. in participation but making sure that your participation is not a tick pocket okay exercise yeah. tick book exercise you know it's something that is valuable yeah no thanks. and the last year we looked at in that talk was yeah. Trust, loyalty, culture, and leadership. And I don't need to uh, to preach to you on that or the listeners. I mean, we we all know how important it is to have trust in your current leadership. And you know, if you don't have trust in your leadership, then that's when you're going to get all the negative publicity and people just saying, you know. But no matter what we do, you know, the powers be they do as they please. So we looked at that part, talk. Okay, I wanna I wanna jump to phase six there, yeah, where where you where you state. Uh, you then look at strategies to promote ethical governance that are identified. Can you share with, with, with us some of those strategies to promote ethical governance? 
All right. No. So what we what we looked at on the first strategy doc, and this is very important. We looked, and I just I just tipped, I covered it on, on on the tip of the iceberg. We said that there must be strong and effective leadership. Direction and control from both, listen to this talk, political office bearers and officials based on the pro- pro- foundations provided in the conceptual model uh, when implementing principles of good governance, right? We're saying, secondly, one of the other strategies are there has to be collaborative and a harmonious relationship between the political office bearers administrative officials and the community. We're taking it further, Doc, in this research, and we said that this relationship must be proactive, positive, and dynamic, with a shared vision of service delivery aims, strategies, and values that underpin uh, government departments. We're saying that lack of trust and understanding amongst these role players will affect the effective implementation of good ethical governance. Hence, then, strong ethical leadership and a keen sense of professionalism will provide a positive and productive working environment. Mm. We're then saying the next strategy is that there needs to be knowledgeable, skilled and qualified and effective uh, ethical governance structures and office bearers in government departments. Now, we're saying this, Doc, that it's required to ensure that legislation is implemented successfully. Now, how many times you walk into any government sector and you will see the Bartopele principles on every window, every door? But you ask, if you ask one official behind that door, give me one principle of the Bartopele, you won't, he or she will not be able to understand it. So we're saying there needs to be knowledge eligible and skilled and qualified uh, thing. And we also then took it further in saying that training and development amongst your staff is crucial, human resource development. The next thing we're saying is, Doc, that the administrative structures and office bearers require expertise, knowledge and skills. Now, they also need to display a strong commitment to ethics and professionalism. Now, you asked me that question, can ethics be taught? And I said to you, it's, it's something that's individual-based and it should be... Uh, you know, you should be asking that question uh, individual per individual because it cannot be uh, applied uniformly. So we're saying the municipal manager and the chief financial officer are the people who influence the outcomes and actions and decisions. We're saying a disciplined adherence to the code of conduct, knowledge of ex- ex- ethical values of the municipality and a commitment to professionalism will ultimately ensure good ethical governance. Mm. Lastly, we're saying that uh, accounting officers or municipal managers should act as stewards and prioritize government performance and community satisfaction. Yeah, Doc, I'm going to highlight just for a minute or 30 seconds or so that how many times you've heard municipal managers come out in disciplinaries and say, no, I was told to do that. But now, if you were told to do that, you're also empowered by legislation and you're there to provide guidance and provide stewardship. So you can't come in and the end of it and say, no, you had no choice. You had a choice. And your choice should have been doing the right thing that's according to statute and your own conscience. Mm. We're then saying that We need to make sure that the foundation on which stewardship is built should prioritize communities and not your own personal interests. And we're saying we must be accounting officers and and municipal managers uh, of various entities should be uh, empowered to carry out their roles and responsibilities of protecting organizational performance and community wealth, controlling assets, financial resources, solving economic and social problems with honesty and integrity by forming key relationships both between the executive and the uh, administrative interface. Lastly, we're saying M&E of ethical and unethical behavior must be incorporated in regular performance appraisals of officials. 
Now, we tend to leave ethics out completely when it comes to performance appraisals. We, we after doing the study and after um, interviewing various experts in the field, we're saying that the focus should now be on managing financial and material resource. The focus should not only be on managing financial and material resources, but also on human capital. And you're an expert in that, Doc. Of proper enforcement and strict monitoring must adhere to the code of conduct for both officials and political officials. So we're saying move away from uh, only focusing on your finance and material resources, but focus now on your human capital. And that's where your research, uh, that's where your training and development and all comes into play. And so much so, Doc, that so many government institutions are forgetting about the training com- component and stuff are left behind because things are changing on a daily basis, yeah. if not on a hourly basis. We're then saying there must be ethics, education, and training sessions to promote an adherence to the understanding of code. So many people we've interviewed, Doc, don't understand what's a code of conduct. They know it that is there, but they have no understanding, hence they cannot apply it. So we're saying there has to be regular education and training. We're then saying local government, provincial and national government, both political and officials must demonstrate professionalism. I could speak a whole day on professionalism, Doc, but what I'm saying is that there must be continued defining and redefining of what constitutes ethical behavior, public interest, and public value in decision-making. We're also saying a proper ethics and compliance uh, program must be established, and I've recommended that this should be future research focusing on not the current ethics and uh, compliance programs that are out there, but taking into consideration what my research has found and taking that and, uh, you know, encapsulating into a new ethics and compliance program for uh, uh, South African government departments. The issue of an ethics officer and, 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 and an ethics office, we're saying that also that must be instituted. Uh, with immediate effect and most municipalities does not, or government department does not have this this component. It generally falls under the MNE and it's uh, very seldom looked at at risk. So we're saying that this should be a standing a standalone section within uh, uh, government sectors. We are saying that ethic focuses concepts and violations should be incorporated in the performance management system to ensure discipline and punishment. I'll come back to what I said in, initially at our conversation that so many officials or so many leaders uh, of uh, state-owned entities and government departments are left to go undisciplined. Uh, They're not disciplined. They just left and they join from this department to the next and perpetuate the same uh, unethical behavior. What was perpetuated? They form an employer because they have not been disciplined. We're also saying that observed by violation should be better managed in terms of reporting mechanism. Now, most people uh, today, you know, we have the Whistleblower uh, Act, but how many whistleblowers are protected. So we go on further to say that more so having this type of legislation, we're saying that government needs to strengthen. Um, and the Zondo Commission came out strong in that. The protection of whistleblowers and and encourage people to come out and report unethical practices. We're then saying a disciplinary office and a disciplinary code must be uh, established to resolve punishment or any further action. Now most times, Doc, the legislation is written such that one can resign prior to uh, one coming to the finality of the DC. We're saying that should change because when one resigns, one goes to a new a new uh, uh, place of vocation or employment and one continues to do the same thing because there was never an issue of discipline. Mm. We're saying there must be, lastly, the improved channels of communication and we're saying that the ethics office must not only address uh, uh, general issues, they must address functional areas such as tendering, bidding, 
that tend to attract unethical conduct within government departments. Now, so much so, Doc, we we tend to look at international practices, but fail to realize that within the South African conduct, part of the unethical behavior is, is perpetuated in tenders and bids in supply chain. So hence we're saying that this should be uh, the ethics officer must address these functional areas within the municipality or within the government department so that there's regular awareness and regular training provided to the staff. Yeah. And lastly, we're saying the conceptual framework that was developed in this, uh, which is phase six, that was, uh, which ties up to phase six, must be used as a guideline to monitor and implement a policy governing ethics-related matters. Yeah. So that boils down then to the people who make decisions at a higher level to be given a chance to look at this uh, uh, conceptual model and uh, pass it as policy in terms of ethics and ethical governance. So in a nutshell, Doc, those okay. are some of the things. Obviously, there's also final inclusions, final conclusions as well that the study yeah. uh, took around, especially that of the AG, uh, where it cannot be understated. And also uh, on that, uh, Doc, we said that the powers of the AG has been uh, strengthened. The AG can now, uh, uh, you know, raise material uh, irregularities and request the SIU or the Hawks to probe that. But uh, if you look at AG reports uh, three, four years ago, that was never heard of. So yeah. now that uh, has been uh, that power has been granted to the Auditor General's office, we're saying that the Auditor General should use that with full might. And, and that's coming out strong, Doc. And one can read the report on local government audit outcomes, even yes. uh, national and provincial, and you'll see that the Auditor General, she's come out strong in that. So, yeah, that's in a okay. nutshell what okay. uh, our, our strategies are. Okay, final final question, you know, we know what to do and, and I really must commend you for the great work that you've done putting in and all the recommendations. The problem is we know what's the problem, we don't know how. What are you proposing uh, to do about this problem, you know? It's, it's a mouthful, we know what you are saying, it's exactly this. What must we do next? A municipality listening to this, wanting to improve its ethical governance. What can we do? What should we do? No, that's a brilliant question, uh, Doc, and we ended it up in our research talking about that. We need to become uh, frank and we need to confront the problem here, Doc. We need to, and listeners, we need to say to uh, fellow South Africans that uh, the country is plagued by unethical conduct. What's contributing to unethical conduct? Who are the role players in uh, who are contributing the same? How do we then uh, uh, become impartial and not uh, ensure that we affect the processes of courts or organizations that take action against unethical behavior? And lastly, we're saying that throughout everything that one does in the public sector, we're saying appoint the right people in the right position. Bus drivers in buses, uh, train drivers in trains, pilots in, in aeroplanes. We, we at, at the moment, have mixed that entire concept up. We bring teachers, for example, I would all due respect to the profession of teaching, and make them run a city uh, with no background in public administration. So we're saying that we, we know the problem. We need to take decision. How do you take decision? 
dissolve, uh, 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 remove yourself from the situation on a personal basis and look at the professional etiquette attached to your position and make the decisions based on professionalism. And, and in a simple nutshell, Doc, if you don't agree, you have the flu and that you need to go to the doctor and take medication. Uh, similarly, with corruption and unequal behavior, if you don't agree that it is a pandemic, it is something that's, that's critical and it's happening within your organization. And if you don't take action, it's going to it's it's going to spiral out of hand. Almost to a state in the abstract of our of our recent article, we said we, it's almost going to lead to a state of anarchy. Yeah. We're saying, Doc, in a nutshell, confront the issue, accept the problem, take uh, steps as detailed in the uh, conceptual model, hold people accountable. But do not interfere with processes and do not allow your position to override your judgment. Whether you're in a political office or whether you're in an administrative office, we're saying impartiality should be the order of the day. Dr. Governors, thank you so much for your time. We wish you well. I just want to put another challenge out to you so that you can come back. I challenge you now to take your PhD, turn it into a book, and make sure that every municipality in this country gets a copy of your uh, of your findings and an implementation model can you take that challenge i'm 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 accepting it uh, dr Pluto, on this platform okay. and definitely something that i'm looking into uh, unfortunately you know with uh, moving uh, jobs i'm bit tied up but gen- definitely i've planned to look at that during the july uh, period and uh, i'm already looking at uh, coining this into a book and into a, a little uh, three or two day uh, training session. Wonderful. We're going to invite the next time we invite you back is to launch your book and your training course. So we're excited about that. Well done once again and blessings on all your work. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kyoto and listeners. Have a great uh, day. Thank you. To the amazing and talented Great Governance Team, The Voice, Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn.